Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Space Talk. Welcome, welcome back. Um, I'm your host, Athena Frensberger. So I hope you guys are having a lovely day so far. Uh, this is, once again, a part of our recurring series called Must See Celestial Events and Space Events that Happen Every Week. So what I typically will do to kick off the week on Mondays is to kind of go over what you can catch from your very own backyard um, in the night sky to help encourage each and every one of you to do a little bit of backyard astronomy and stargazing. So kicking off this week, um, I'm going to start off actually talking a little bit about our moon because uh, the moon is very visible uh, right now as it is entering the third quarter phase of the moon phases. So that is the uh, almost last phase uh, just before it goes into becoming a new moon again. So we just got out of the full moon phase from last week. And on March 25th at approximately 12.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the moon will reach its third quarter phase. So that's going to look like a half moon. Uh, the left side of it should be uh, uh, pretty um, visible. That'll be like the left side that looks like it's full. And this is for our Northern Hemisphere friends. So with that being said, with the moon, um, it's going to be doing some pretty cool lineups this week with planets and with constellations. So let's go ahead and jump in with when the moon is going to be visible within uh, a constellation. So this is going to be early morning. Uh, we're going to jump ahead a few dates to March 27th. So just, just a little bit ahead of our, our calendar right now. So just a few days ahead. So from the 27th to the 29th, the moon is going to be at its crescent phase. So it's going to be exiting out of third quarter, going into a crescent phase. It's getting pretty thin. I think we all probably know what a crescent looks like. It looks like a big smile in the sky of like the Cheshire cat. And so this is going to be early morning, about 45 minutes before sunrise. The moon crosses through the constellation Capricornus looking southeast, and it's going to be passing by this uh, kind of little triplet planet lineup that we've got that you might have caught last week, which is Venus, Mars, and Saturn. So Venus, Mars, and Saturn are, are kind of making their own triangle just to the left of the Capricorn constellation. And this is pretty low on the horizon. So um, if you wanted to get up earlier and catch this, just go up a little bit higher if you could, uh, get a little bit elevated, um, maybe up on, maybe maybe you're on the second floor, or maybe you're in, in a giant apartment building, you can look outside your window and see this. Um, I think it should be pretty cool to catch, maybe on your early morning commute. Saturn is going to pass only two degrees under Venus at their conjunction on the mornings of the 28th and 29th with Mars still nearby. So that's just how close you can imagine now what these planets are going to look like. Venus and Mars, just two, sorry, Venus and Saturn, just two degrees apart. Your pinky is about one degree. Uh, so that's like the tip of your pinky from one end of the nail to the other end. So imagine two of your, of your pinkies connected, kind of like positioning up to the sky. That's about the distance that Venus and Saturn will appear to us on Earth. So it's going to be really cool to catch if you're able to catch that. Then uh, moving into other time for some planet stuff, so uh, other other planetary visibilities, we've got Mercury, Jupiter, and Neptune uh, that are not visible right now. They are visible during the daytime, and you can't catch it because of the sun. Then you've got Venus at a magnitude of negative 4.5. That's very, very bright. 
Uh, remember when uh, the apparent magnitude scale, as the numbers go into the negative side, they are brighter, so easier to see with the naked eye or unaided eye without a telescope or binoculars. And so this is going to be Venus, about negative 4.5 magnitude, visible sitting low on the southeast horizon during dawn. Mars is a lot fainter. Mars is at a magnitude of plus 1.2, still within visible uh, visibility for the unaided eye at a plus 1.2, uh, but it's still located uh, just about four or five degrees to the lower right of Venus. And this will be visible very early morning about, uh, you know, uh, same time around dawn, about 45 minutes before sunrise. And then you got Saturn and Saturn is at a magnitude of plus 0.8. Uh, also, you know, as I mentioned, visible with those other two planets, Venus and Mars, but a little bit more tricky to see. Saturn sits very, very low on the horizon, the lowest of the three planets. Uh, so definitely try to catch it if you can by going maybe up on a hill. Lastly, you have Uranus at a magnitude of 5.8. You cannot see it with the unaided eye. You would need a telescope or binoculars. And it's in the constellation Aries, sitting low in the western horizon right after dark. So, yeah, same thing. I actually drew up a sky chart, uh, which is attached in my weekly transmission. If you guys wanted to try to access that, you can sign up at astrothids.com. I believe everyone here probably is already subscribed. Um, and I drew up a sky chart for Austin, Austin, Texas, which is where I am, for this night. And Aries was very tricky to, 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 to see. It doesn't go that high up past the horizon on the east, so the eastern horizon. Um, and it's only visible for a few hours, and then it sets below the horizon. So just after sunset, when the sky is dark enough to see these stars, it's already maybe about 20 degrees above your horizon. And then an hour into the night, as the sky gets darker and darker, it's already starting to set. So if you wanted to catch Uranus in the constellation Aries, um, only way you'll be able to catch it is with a telescope and being as uh, at a high of a highest altitude as possible. I would recommend. All right, so we've got our planets, we've got our moon. Let's keep moving forward for uh, our early risers on March twenty sixth. Uh, the waning crescent moon is over your southeast horizon about forty five minutes before sunrise, and it'll be next to, of course, those planets again: Venus, Saturn, and Mars. And then lastly, March 25th, so we're kind of working backwards right now, uh, and that was because this one has sort of the longest description. Um, this is where I attach the sky chart, for those of you who might be following along on my transmission right now. And I attach a sky chart because I wanted you guys to be able to sort of see what I'm talking about when I like kind of give these descriptions where you're able to see like what deep sky objects are located, where, um, like what, and then like, of course you'll need a telescope to see those deep sky objects are very tricky to catch with the unaided eye. Um, the only one I've ever seen was the Pleiades open star cluster. The rest of them are, are way too dim to catch, uh, with just my eyes also so that you could actually see, uh, what it's like to have a sky chart when you're stargazing. If you guys haven't used one before, um, it, it, can seem maybe a little bit tricky, but it's pretty straightforward. Um, if you know where your direction is, north, south, east, or west, you hold the sky chart with your body 
uh, facing that position. So you'd hold the chart in front of you. And if you're facing South, have the South closest to your body and then rotate it. If you're facing East so that you're then have the East horizon closest to your body. And then you'll be able to look up and you'll probably start to recognize some of the patterns in the sky of those constellations or the planets that are visible. So with that being said, on March 25th, um, this is going to be, uh, let's see, I, I drew the sky chart for around 10 PM to 1130 PM. Um, it'll be visible all the way until probably about like mid April, but as you get closer towards April, uh, it's going to start to be later and later at night that you could use the sky chart. And that's because everything is shifting over the sky. So if that is, you know, an inconvenience to you, head to skyandtelescope.org and go to their interactive sky chart. You could draw up your own uh, uh, sky chart if you'd like as well um, for every night. So you can have like the most recent, you could set a time for it. You can set um, a location as well. So be a little bit, a little bit more um, customized. All right. So let's see. So there, there was this little snippet I want to read from Sky and Telescope that I kind of got to read everything else I want to share with you all that I really liked kind of describing what you could catch. So here's the quote. The Big Dipper glitters softly high in the Northeast um, during this evening. You probably know that the two stars forming the front of the Dipper's Bowl currently, which is the top of the Big Dipper, are the pointers. They point to Polaris, that which is currently to the left or lower left of the Big Dipper's constellation. Oh, asterism, excuse me. Big Dipper is an asterism. If you don't know what that is, it is a pattern that is within a constellation, which is kind of funny. It's a pattern within a pattern. It's like inception. Um, and you may know that if you follow the curve of the Big Dipper's handle out and around by a little more than a dipper's length, you'll arc to Arcturus, now rising in the east. Uh, this, Before I continue reading, this was something I remember learning in my first astronomy class in high school that our teacher would would share with us. Like He would literally say, like, look at the Big Dipper and the top pointer points to Polaris, and then you follow the dipper's length and it's an arc. So then you, so you arc to Arcturus and Arcturus is a star, a very, very bright star. And so the arc of the big dipper is like that part that would be like the handle. If, if you were to like, maybe hold on to the big dipper with your hand and that would point to, um, Arcturus and Polaris is a pretty dim star. Uh, that is currently our North star, North star changes, um, the North Star during uh, Jesus's time. So the Bible, when they talk about the North Star, was was probably not Polaris. I, I can't remember what the star was, but it was something else. So that that changes every. I think it's ooh, every few centuries, maybe. I don't quite remember. Uh, but let's continue reading. So the quote continues to say, "But did you know that if you follow the pointers backwards in the opposite direction, you'll land in Leo." So this is this this poetic part: land in Leo, L and L, and then draw a line diagonally across the Dipper's bowl from where the handle is attached. Continue far on, and you'll go to Gemini. Another another uh, play on words here. Um, so you've got Gemini, you've got Leo, you've got the Big Dipper. Arcturus, Polaris, and lastly, and then if you look at the two stars forming the open top of the Dipper's bowl and follow this line past the bowl's lip across the sky, you'll come to Capella. So that is that is sort of everything here um, of, of what you can catch for this area of the sky. Um, if you haven't checked this out before, 
or if you haven't really live shared, I'm sure we've all probably seen the Big Dipper at some point. And it really does cover a lot of the sky. It's very, very big, kind of depending on where you are. Um, and what it does this, it's it really kind of paints this sort of mural to be able to locate where other things are. And if you're able to do that, you're learning how to navigate using the stars. Um, and I, I, I talk about this quite a lot, how I think that is very important because our all of our ancestors used to you know, roam the earth by navigation of using the celestial bodies above. Um, not only sailors, you know, like at voyagers, but also people who were walking on the land. Uh, this was such such an important thing. And there are still people, I think, who, who probably do that. Um, I don't do it so often because I am in a, in a city where I don't necessarily use that, a lot of light pollution. So if I all of a sudden can't see a star, I'm like, oh, okay, is that supposed to be east or west? <laughs> or west? So it's a little more tricky. And we have GPS. So different times. Alrighty. So those are your must-see celestial events. We've got our moon phase of this week, which we mentioned is third quarter moon, March 25th at 1237 AM Eastern Daylight Time. Let's move into astronomy term of the week. I went with redshift, blue shift. Um, don't exactly know why. I feel like that was correlated to something. Oh, I think because we've spoken a lot about uh, James Webb lately and James Webb Space Telescope detecting uh, redshift galaxies. And so I've been using this term quite frequently. So I thought, why not sort of just chat about redshift, blue shift? So I'm going to read this kind of lengthy paragraph I wrote. Uh, it's my, my own interpretation, my more not interpretation, but my own words to sort of describe redshift and blue shift. There are more proper definitions you could use, but this is my way of kind of uh, elaborating on how to describe it to others. The James Webb Space Telescope is capable of imaging redshift galaxies from the very early universe. Redshift is a term used to describe objects in, objects in space moving away from the observer. This term is used because the light is more in the reddish region of the electromagnetic spectrum, as opposed to the bluer region, which would imply it's moving towards the observer. This would be called blue shifting. Sound waves also do this. Think of an ambulance approaching and then leaving. The sound gets compressed, making louder and higher pitched sounds when it approaches. That's blue shifting. When it's moving away, the sound waves are getting stretched out and the sound is getting deeper and quieter. This is redshifting. So with light, redshift galaxies are galaxies that are so far away from us, they're only visible in the redder regions of the electromagnetic spectrum, and they are galaxies that formed at the very early stages of the formation of the universe and are moving further and further away from us as we speak. All right, so that is that bit of redshift blue shift. I hope that um, made some sense to you all. And I hope that you're going to be able to maybe uh, uh, use that whenever um, maybe you're reading through some type of scientific uh, paper, anything that has to do with uh, redshift or blue shift, or maybe you just think about it when an ice cream truck or ambulance goes by. Alrighty, our last bit of things I wanted to chat with you all about today is, of course, our space history. So again, this is for week four of March. So this goes all the way until the 31st of March. And this also includes, you know, the first few days of this week. So today and tomorrow and the rest of the week. So we've got March 26 in 1980 was when Ariane Space was founded. Ariane Space and Ariane Group, uh, which is a, a sub-company of Ariane Space, is a uh, rocket company um, that is based out of France. 
They are with partnered with the European Space Agency, so they tend to land, I would say, quite a lot of their contracts for satellites, payloads, um, stuff like that through the European Space Agency. Um, they're also partnered with CNES, C-N-E-S, which is um, also another French agency. I think they are the ones responsible for developing either the engines or the rocket boosters of the rocket itself. Um, hopefully I got that right. But really, really great uh, space agency. They just developed the Ariane 6 rocket, which is uh, going to be partly reusable, I believe. It's only part of it. Uh, but really, really exciting because this is the first time they've worked on manufacturing reusability in rockets. So really cool, very powerful rocket. Ariane 5 has launched quite a lot of times. It's the Ariane 5 rocket is what launched the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, so if you caught that launch, you probably would have recognized that rocket and saw that it wasn't um, you know, a Delta IV Heavy, which is a, a United Launch Alliance, or it wasn't a, a Falcon 9, which is a SpaceX launch, a SpaceX rocket. This was an Ariane space rocket. Alrighty. Then May 30th. Um, whoa. I don't know why I wrote May 30th. I might've actually included this. Sorry. I didn't even notice that till right now. I thought it'd be March 30th, 1975. The European space agency was founded. So let's double check that again. Um, when was ESA? I might've gotten this date mixed up. Founded. This was, it was May. So for those of you who received my transmission and you randomly saw me, I'm just jumping to the future here that I put in May. That is why I, I, I thought it might've said March, but we will revisit that in May. But for now, European Space Agency was founded May 30th, 1975. And then lastly, March 25th in 1655, Saturn's largest moon, Titan, was discovered by Huygens. So Christian Huygens. Um, and Titan is a very, very interesting, uh, moon, um, of Saturn. I know that there's quite a lot of people who are currently doing research on Titan. Uh, a friend of mine who is going to be joining space talk next week on the 28th, Dr. Kirby Runyon, um, is I think very, very excited about Titan. He, every time that we've spoke, he usually has a lot of stuff to say about Titan, um, I don't exactly remember why it has something to do with the the like the the, the bod, like the bodies of ocean the ocean bodies that are on the surface it's not liquid water it's like ammonia and nitrogen I believe the atmospheres all the the activity that's going on the geological activity the uh, terrain on Titan there's a lot of a lot of stuff there and although it can be very harsh for us humans to live there it still has a lot of those uh, elements and probably necessary conditions for potential life to form. And, I, and I, this could be like very tiny microorganisms, very small bacteria that can withstand these types of conditions. Us more fragile humans probably wouldn't do so well um, on this surface or on this, on this moon, but it definitely is something that my friend, Dr. Kirby Runyon is excited about, and he will be joining us next week, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, so in case you guys want to learn a little more, a little bit more about Titan and other bodies in our solar system, there's a really great interactive site called solarsystem.nasa.gov. This is the solar system exploration program. It's like a giant, uh, kind of like a video game. It's a simulation, um, program that you could use. You don't need to download the software, but you could. I know that there is an option. 
Um, it's also called eyes on eyes on like that. It's either eyes on solar system, eyes on Mars, eyes on the asteroid belt. Um, so they developed the software where you're able to now sort of like, you know, in a simulation go there. So you get to sort of see what it's like to be out there in space at these, uh, planets or these moons or these, whatever it is that you're observing. It also gives a bunch of really cool information and stats like, the distance from Earth, which is, uh, for some reason, uh, decreasing. It must be its orbit. Uh, so its orbit is elliptical. So it's going to be further sometimes and closer at other times. So it says that its distance from Earth is, um, let's see, I'm going to put that in. Okay, it is in miles. 988 million, a little bit more than that. We'll say 989 million miles from Earth. That is one billion five hundred and ninety one million kilometers so 1.5 billion we'll just say that it's it's like a very very long number and it keeps changing so you guys should definitely go check that out on your own uh really really cool stats it also gives distance from Saturn um and let's see what else it has here this is like really fun uh our solar system has more than 150 known moons so that's pretty cool. It looks like we've got um, awesome Lauren. Yeah, that is a super cool tool. I, I really like it. I'm actually just going to explore it a little bit right now with you guys because um, I wanted to. Did, I definitely wanted to chat a little more about um, about Titan with you all. Uh, and this was mainly during. This is why. Uh, so, because the Cassini spacecraft went to Saturn, sort of explore a little bit more about Saturn, understand more about its rings. But also, more importantly, uh, or equally importantly, is looking at the moons of Saturn. So checking out Titan. And uh, the, the Cassini spacecraft took these incredible photos that are also on the site um, of the atmosphere of, uh, of, of Titan. It shows the first flash of sunlight reflected off a hydrocarbon lake on Saturn's moon Titan. So that's what the lake is made of. It's made of a bunch of hydrocarbons. And my friend, Dr. Kirby Runyon could explain that definitely a lot better. Um, but it also is able to, uh, it's just, yeah, the, not only was the spacecraft able to image a lot of these really cool um, aspects of the atmosphere and of, of the planet itself, but it was able to probe it. So understand more about its surface and what's happening on its surface. It has these massive, massive sand dunes and these um, really like just vicious storms happening on the surface. So uh, which is, I would say, more common than not when it comes to uh, our universe or our solar system and different bodies on it, because Venus also has a very, very harsh conditioned atmosphere or, or surface as well. So it has clouds, it has rain, it has rivers and lakes and seas of liquid hydrocarbons uh, like methane and ethane. The largest sea are hundreds of feet deep and hundreds of miles wide. And then beneath Titan's thick crust of water, Oh, okay. Water ice. This is cool. So it has a crust of water ice. So that's really exciting. So H2O, um, that is more liquid. There, there's also an ocean primarily of water rather than methane. So this is what is so exciting about Titan. Okay. So what I was remembering were the, the methane and ethane found within a lot of the, the rain and the rivers. Cause I remember learning about how, uh, that when it rains on Titan, it's like, it's literally acid rain. It's like very, very harsh. But 
turns out there is also water ice and some water, liquid water as well. So this could be really cool because there could possibly be life there under this in the subsurface um, right now. It's 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 possible. So I believe there are some missions that are planned to go to Titan. Um, and let's see, we've got Pioneer One. It looks like that was just flying past uh, Titan. Uh, this is such, you guys have definitely got to spend some time messing around with uh, solarsystem.nasa.gov because it really shows all these really, like just cool different things. Um, and there's Saturn with all the other moons of Saturn. So we've got, let's go visit this one. This is Tethys, T-E-T-H-Y-S, Tethys, very cratered. Uh, moon. Let's make sure this is, this is one of the moons. Oh, it's giving me, let's see. It's named after the Greek goddess of rivers and it's about 10 astronomical units from the sun. Wow. Uh, has a very, very large crater on it as well. Cold, airless, heavily battered, tons of impact craters, uh, more than Dion and Rhea, two other moons of Saturn. And it may have retained a molten surface longer than its sister moons. So that's that's pretty interesting. So a molten surface, which is typically what would result in uh, having a crust and mantle and a terrestrial planet is, is when that planet goes through this sort of uh, in-between phase of when it's first forming and it's really, really hot. And then when it starts to cool down, this is what allows for it to crust over. Um and so this is, I think, quite interesting, Tethys. So if you guys want to look up that, that's uh, another moon of Saturn, T-E-T-Y-T-H-Y-S. It's Saturn's fifth largest moon. It's a very irregular shape, about uh, 331 miles in mean radius. And yeah, it's, it's more, I would say, like the other moons that we're sort of used to, like our own moon, for instance, which is, um, again, this is described as being airless, no atmosphere, very heavily cratered. Whereas Titan is just so much more of a rare moon. I think if we had a moon around earth, that was more like Titan. Uh, that would be very interesting, especially being this close to the sun. I bet for sure there would have been some form of life already existing on there. We probably would have found it, uh, during maybe the first Apollo missions. If we had gone to, a moon that was like Titan, which is very interesting. So that is about everything. Definitely go check out this interactive thing. I think it's super cool. Um, and as always, we're going to wrap up with astronomy picture of the day and whoa. Okay. So this picture is, I know what this picture is before it tells me it is like the, uh, stargazers almanac there, if you look that up, you'll see this sort of like hourglass shape, which is typically of how long the nights are uh, throughout the year. Sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter. And as I hover over it, there we go. Okay, shows day, night, northern hemisphere, spring equinox, summer solstice, autumnal equinox, winter solstice, and blue hour. Whoa, I don't know what blue hour is actually. And this is the sky in 2021. Um, so this is cool. So it looks like someone had actually imaged this and yeah, created and combined the images to create our type of, uh, sky, sky gazers almanac we would usually look at. Um, 
This is cool. I love the drill down aspect of the site. Titan is quite yellow. Yeah. Super cool comments. Thank you for, for, for sharing that Lauren. Um, yeah, Titan is very yellow and the drill down aspect of the site. Not quite sure what you mean by that. Um, the drill down, let's see. Um, as in, I'm not, I'm actually not sure if you could type what you mean by that. Cause at first I was thinking like, uh, you know, like, like drilling, like in an asteroid, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that's what you're applying to saying what it has to do with the site. So if you could leave a comment to describe what you mean by that, that'd be cool. Uh, but otherwise, if you guys want to check out astronomy picture of the day, definitely go see that. This looks super cool. Um, it says it's an image over the Netherlands and yeah, this is, this is really cool. It shows the hours, um, to the bottom of it, of your, of the picture. So just along going from left to right, horizontally, the bottom of that image. And then on the left, left column, you've got all the months and that's about everything. Also shows the glow of the moon. That's pretty cool. That must be what this sort of grayish white area is to the right of the sky. And just for fun, we're going to visit the uh, sky from the night before. So yesterday, Oh, the info. Okay. Got it. You can click on the moon and it comes up full screen with info on the moon. Yes. 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 I definitely, definitely love that. Um, I think that's, uh, a very exciting thing. Actually, it just popped up series. It must've been orbiting when I wasn't paying attention. Uh, but I got a question last week about series, uh, dwarf planet, uh, was named an asteroid for a very long time. And, uh, it recently was, um, I would say recategorized as a dwarf planet. I don't exactly remember what year it was, but yeah, it gives you a little drop down menu, some details about the, about the body, the celestial body, whatever it is. Uh, it makes up almost a third of the asteroid belt's total mass. That's a lot, but it's still false, far smaller than earth's moon series is heavily cratered with large amounts of ice underground. Whoa. And then if you want to click on it, it'll also then bring you to a full simulation of series. You can rotate it. You can move it around, kind of just see what's going on on that planet. Really great computer model here. You can zoom in and, and really zoom in on the craters. Um, but now let's go back to astronomy picture of the day. So it was the spring equinox, by the way. So happy spring equinox. Um, that was on the 20th. So that was yesterday. And for those in the Southern hemisphere, happy autumnal equinox. Uh, this was a picture that was taken, um, this looks beautiful by Roland Christian, and it is a perfect lineup of the sun setting along a pathway. So it looks like a long road. And this was, let's see, where was this located? This was on the equinox in Northwest Illinois. All right. So, uh, running approximately east to west. So the image was taken during the March equinox. Um, oh, this was of 2015. It shows the sun down the road at sunset. Very cool. So this is also a really fun thing to look at. It's just any time there is uh, a lineup, I would say, of the sun between buildings, like in Manhattan, there's the Man Manhattan Henge, as, as Neil deGrasse Tyson called it, um, which is a play on words from Stonehenge, but you're looking at it between the buildings on Manhattan Island, uh, which is pretty cool which you can catch several times throughout the year during sunsets, or if you want to catch it specifically on the equinoxes, you could also catch it then too. 
Alrighty, everyone. Well, I am uh, just about out of time. Going to wrap up here. Um, so if you guys want to go outside and look up at the night sky and explore maybe some of uh, these celestial events that are happening from your own backyard, uh, please do let me know how it goes. If you take any photos, please send them over to me. You can either send me a DM on here, an email, or um, you can just tag me if you're going to post it on social media. Tag me at Asher Athens and I'll check it out. All right, everyone, have a great rest of your day. And until next time, Ad Astra.